Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Book of Mormon. Elder Cross and Elder Green, you will be serving in Japan. Oh, Japan! Land of soy sauce! And Mothra! Elder Harris and Elder Brown... My mission Will it be China or old Mexico on my mission? It could be San Fran by the bay Australia where they say g'day But I pray I'm sent to my favorite place Orlando First, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I am here with Patty and Benny in the stage left studio. I am wearing my Pikachu beanie and I have, oh, an important follow-up to our Thoroughly Modern Millie episode. Here it is. Casey Nicola does not, despite my initial instincts, does not identify as a woman. No, I came to this stunning realization long after our edit of that episode was completed complete, and patron Greg was quick to correct me as well. Thank you for reaching out, Greg. Let us consider this matter officially resolved. Casey Nicola, cis man, let it be known far and wide throughout the kingdom. Speaking of last week's episode, Chris pointed out my lovely husband, Chris, hello, I love you, Chris, he pointed out to me that the clip of Angela Lansbury at the Oscars was chosen only a few days before she passed away. A very interesting bit of timing. I believe we are due for another Lansbury performance in the wake of her passing, and so I would like to offer her rendition of I Don't Want to Know from the Jerry Herman musical Dear World. This is from Season 1, Episode 19 of the Julie Andrews Hour, which aired on ABC, I believe, on February 10th, 1973. We are going to hear this performance in full. I feel I do not necessarily do a great job when it comes to honoring these figures who leave us, these these titans of the theatrical community, and so I thought it would be a good idea to let Angela speak for herself through this performance. So without any further ado, Patty, Benny, if we could please play this performance of I Don't Want to Know. Dear world was the, uh, the world of Aurelia, the mad woman of Chaillot, who is this wonderful 80-year-old woman that I've played in the show and uh, she she loved the world and she loved nature and she loved people and one day the day arrives when her friends explain to her that the world isn't the lovely place that she thinks it is and that the bulldozers are going to destroy these glorious buildings of Paris and that automation is taking over the world she just literally puts her hands over her ears and says I, I don't I don't want to hear this don't tell me I want to remember the world as it is and that's when she sings I don't want to know. So maybe I could uh, sing. have a little lovely Nelson Riddle accompaniment here. Yeah. <laughs> 
very much, Patty and Benny. I should say that Angela is seated throughout that entire performance. She is in an armchair, and if you know anything... <laughs> If you know anything about what it means to sing from a from a physical perspective, how you need to have complete control, really, over your body to perform a song like the one you just heard, you will know how difficult that would be for the average being. The average human being would have a very hard time. It, it's a wonder that she that she was able to offer that to us. Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. She passed away at the age of 96, 1925 through 2022. Not a bad run at all. My goodness gracious. Okay, it is now time to provide the show facts for this week's subject, the Book of Mormon. Show me the show facts. All right, let's do it. The Book of Mormon was the 2011 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on February 24th, 2011 at the Eugene O'Neill Theater, and as of October 9th, 2022, has logged 4,135 performances. That makes the Book of Mormon the 13th longest-running show in Broadway history as of this recording. Jersey Boys currently holds the number 12 spot with 4,642 performances, and Miss Saigon resides at number 14 with 4,092 performances. The book, music, and lyrics of the Book of Mormon were written by Robert Lopez, Matt Stone, and Trey Parker. Additional credits for Robert Lopez include Avenue Q, former subject Avenue Q, the Apple series Central Park, and alongside his wife, Kristen Anderson Lopez, Frozen, Frozen, 
Frozen 2 and Coco. Additional credits for Parker and Stone include South Park, Team America World Police, Cannibal the Musical, Orgasmo, That's My Bush, Basketball, and the short-lived web series Princess. Anyone else remember Princess? I remember Princess. Oh boy. The director of the original Broadway production of the Book of Mormon was, oh we have two, Trey Parker and Casey Nicola. The musical director, Stephen Ormus. Orchestrations, Larry Hockman and Stephen Ormus. Choreographer, Casey Nicola. Scenic design, Scott Pask. Lighting design, Brian McDevitt. Sound design, Brian Ronan. Costume design, Anne Roth. The original Broadway cast was as follows. We have Scott Bernhardt, Justin Bohan, Darlicia Searcy, Louis Cleal, Kevin Duda, Josh Gad, who made his Broadway debut. I always forget this. He made his Broadway debut in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. That will be a show we talk about in the future here on the main feed. I do not know when off the top of my head. It'll come at a certain point, but hello, Josh Gad. We also have as Merritt, Gebra Michael. Again, I apologize if I am mispronouncing any of these first or last names. We have Nikki M. James, who recently on Broadway served as the assistant director for the 2017 revival of Once on This Island. It's true. We also have, we're not done yet with this cast, we have Clark Johnson, Rory O'Malley, John Eric Parker, Michael Potts, Andrew Rannells, star of My God. Does anyone remember The New Normal? I watched, I believe, several episodes of The New Normal, a show no one remembers or talks about or thinks about at any point. <laughs> oh boy. We also have Benjamin Schrader, Michael James Scott, Brian Sears, Jason Michael Snow, Lawrence Stallings, Brian Tyree Henry, Rima Webb, Maya Nikengi Wilson, and Tamar Wilson. All of them, every single member of this cast, by the way, is a Broadway veteran at this point in their careers. Not a single Broadway debut in the bunch. Uh, you never heard me say that phrase, Broadway debut. These are all veterans. Now, Tony Knotts. The show won Best Musical, of course, but it also won Best Book of a Musical. Robert Lopez, Matt Stone, and Trey Parker. Best Original Score, Lopez, Stone, and Parker. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Nikki M. James. Best Direction of a Musical, Trey Parker and Casey Nicola. Best Orchestrations, Larry Hockman and Stephen Ormus. Best Scenic Design of a Musical, Scott Pask. Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Brian McDevitt. And Best Sound Design of a Musical, Brian Ronan. The production was additionally nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Musical, Josh Gad. Best Lead Actor in a Musical, Andrew Rannells. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Rory O'Malley. Best Choreography, Casey Nicola. And Best Costume Design of a Musical, Anne Roth. So in total, we have 14 nominations and the show walked away with nine awards when all was said and done. Not a bad ratio. Before we dive into the plot, of the Book of Mormon, I want to offer a nice hunk, a hunk of context. This week's subject offers a depiction of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the LDS Church for short. As of 2021, the LDS Church utilizes nearly 100,000 volunteer missionaries to spread the word of its founder, Joseph Smith, while simultaneously offering humanitarian aid to the people they hope to convert. Missionaries are typically single men and women in their late teens or early 20s who are sent in pairs to one of 411 Mormon outposts located throughout the world. Said outposts are known as missions and 
and the work performed by missionaries is generally described as serving out their mission. To review, missionaries are sent to missions so they may serve out their missions. Hashtag mission. Male missionaries are referred to as elders and serve for two years, while the women are referred to as sisters and serve for 18 months. Upon returning from their mission, elders are promoted to the status of brother. Sisters do not receive a title promotion as far as I can tell, but I guess it doesn't matter as the Book of Mormon does not include female Mormon characters. No girls allowed. Weird fact, missionaries are expected to use their own money or that of friends and family to fund their mission work. Ridiculous, am I right? It's ridiculous. It's one thing if you want people to volunteer, but the LDS Church should cover their travel and expenses. Congratulations, you are being sent to do God's work in Tahiti. Good luck paying for, you know, all of that. Uh, bye. The church also employs older married couples who have children that have already left the nest, essentially, as missionaries, which seems more reasonable. I don't really care if Nana and Pop-Pop spend their golden years proselytizing in Tahiti. The 18-year-olds can stay here because they are 18 and have no life experience. But serving your mission is all about gaining life experience, Jonathan. Stop taking advantage of young people. Stop it. Having hastily constructed a serviceable backdrop, let us now talk about the plot of the Book of Mormon. Act 1. At a typical missionary training center, Elder Kevin Price demonstrates the door-to-door -door method of evangelizing. Price is a whiz, a real wonderkind when it comes to this stuff. He dreams of serving out his two-year mission in Orlando, Florida, but luck is not on his side. His mission partner is a geek and a flop named Arnold Cunningham, and their mission outpost is in Uganda. Womp womp. Uganda is not Orlando. They do not have Walt Disney World in Uganda. No. Price is disappointed, but vows to make a difference in Africa. Cunningham resigns himself to sidekick status, happy in the knowledge that he finally has a friend. Our heroes arrive in Uganda, where they are promptly robbed by soldiers working for General Butt-Fucking-Naked. That's the character's name, General Butt-Fucking-Naked, the resident warlord. Mafala Hatimbi welcomes the flustered Mormons to his village, welcome, where life is terrible, welcome. The villagers cope with their sorry lot by repeating a mantra, Hasadiga Ibawai, translated into English, Fuck you, God. Hatimbi's daughter, Nabalingi, welcomes Price and Cunningham before showing them to their quarters. There are, as it turns out, several Mormons already living in the village, and they have yet to convert a single African. District leader Elder McKinley advises his peers to reject their sorrow and cynicism, along with any other feelings that might undermine their faith. Price is worried about his odds, but Cunningham promises to help in any way he can. They are, after all, best friends. The next day, Price hits the ground running by launching into a sermon that is less about the glory of Joseph Smith and more about the glory of himself. General Butt-Fucking-Naked arrives with a horrifying declaration. Every woman in the village must submit to genital mutilation. Put more bluntly, the women will soon have their clits circumcised. This is a musical comedy, by the way. Last week's musical comedy featured yellow face and white slavery, and this 
this week's musical comedy prioritizes clit mutilation. Ha 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 ha! A villager objects to the clit mandate and is swiftly executed. Hatimbi instructs Nabulungi to stay out of sight until some measure of safety can be assured, but she is reluctant to hide. Nabulungi believes the Mormons will overcome the general and lead the villagers to paradise. Yeah, not so much. Price abandons Cunningham and his post so he may serve out the rest of his mission in Florida. Cunningham is distraught, my best friend, where did my best friend go? But when Nabalingi and a handful of villagers express an interest in the LDS church, he resolves to man up and inspire the prospective disciples. Act 2. The villagers have grown tired of Cunningham's lectures, which are boring and confusing. In an act of desperation, Cunningham begins to incorporate sci-fi and fantasy icons into the lessons. His conscience manifests in the form of Joseph Smith, a pair of hobbits from The Lord of the Rings, Neota Uhura from Star Trek, Darth Vader and Yoda from Star Wars, and his own father. They chastise Cunningham for making shit up. Our hero protests, believing the intent of his message is more important than the granular details of scripture. For example, Cunningham tells the villagers they should not fuck babies to cure their AIDS, an idea that has recently permeated the culture. This is a comedy, by the way. Cunningham recommends having sex with frogs instead. Yeah, frogs. Frogs will cure your AIDS, is what he tells them. Is it in the Book of Mormon? No. Is it actually helpful? No. But Cunningham believes it is helpful, and that is what counts. Price arrives in glorious, sun-kissed Orlando. Or does he? No, he does not. Price is actually having a nightmare. Jesus, Satan, Genghis Khan, Jeffrey Dahmer, Adolf Hitler, and Johnny Cochran appear so they may drag Price into the flaming bowels of hell. Price wakes up and recommits to his mission in Uganda, going so far as to confront General Butt-Fucking-Naked with the words of Joseph Smith. After all, if Price cannot convert to the general, what hope is there for the rest of the village? Cunningham successfully baptizes several villagers, including the ever-devoted Nabalingi. We crossfade to a hospital room where Price is having the Book of Mormon removed from his ass because General Butt-Fucking-Naked shoved the Book of Mormon into Price's non-receptive ass. When the General learns of Cunningham's baptisms, he vows to kill everyone. None shall be spared. Cunningham is shocked to find Price drowning his sorrows in coffee. Ah, yes, coffee. Caffeine is a big no-no for Mormons. This is a bad sign. The little guy is in a total state of despair. Life is nothing but a series of empty dreams and broken promises, old chum. Cunningham begs Price to get it together, get it together, get it together, as the mission president is on his way to Uganda to evaluate their progress. Smash cut. The villagers relay the story of Joseph Smith in the form of a pageant, one that includes all of Cunningham's ridiculous hearsay. The mission president is predictably outraged. Sturm and Drang, bluster and beefsteak. He orders all of the Mormons to return to America and informs the villagers they will never be accepted by the LDS church. Never, 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 never. A positively heartbroken Nabalingi denounces God to the dismay of her neighbors. But Nabalingi, what about Joseph? Joseph Smith, what about Elder Cunningham? We all got baptized. You inspired us to do this. 
Nabalingi disavows everything she has been taught and lies about Cunningham, claiming he has been eaten by a lion. I'm a little hazy as to why she devises the lion story, but the point is that Nabalingi is disillusioned. So disillusioned, in fact, that she is even willing to have her clit circumcised by the general. This is a comedy, by the way. Price experiences a Hail Mary Eureka moment. Cunningham has been right all along. Scripture is worthless if it does not convey a clear and helpful message. With that in mind, he and Cunningham race back to the village, determined to set things right. The general is astonished by the sight of Cunningham. How? How is this possible? The Mormon was consumed by a lion and has now been resurrected? Ah, gadzooks! The villains flee the coop, leaving the villagers to celebrate their freedom. As it turns out, Cunningham's students knew his stories were metaphorical rather than literal. Frog sex as a cure for AIDS is a metaphor. Duh, everyone knows that. A metaphor for what exactly? Condoms? Sure, condoms. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The show concludes with the Mormons and Ugandans joining forces to promote the word of a new prophet, Arnold Cunningham. Ah, yes, that's right. I've never understood the claim that this week's subject is an affirmation of the Mormon faith. I believe that has been said several times by Mormons, I believe. The ending makes it clear everyone has moved beyond Mormonism. The LDS church rejected these characters, and so they founded their own church, right? That's what happens. The Book of Mormon is such a Rorschach test for audiences, and most of what people see within it is simply not there, in my not-so-humble opinion. For the purposes of this week's episode, I began by watching Season 7, Episode 12 of South Park. This episode is known as All About Mormons, and it originally aired on Comedy Central on November 19th, 2003. The Book of Mormon is essentially a two-and-a-half-hour remake of this half-hour episode of television. This is not the first time South Park would have referenced Mormons, though it is arguably the most prominent instance of Mormonism being depicted in the show. You, you know what I'm saying. From what I recall, earlier seasons were much harsher in their treatment of the religion. I want to riff for a second. I need to vent about this episode. I, I really don't like how this episode of television, this has always stuck in my craw, how it plays to both sides of the aisle. That has always driven me nuts. On the one on one hand, the show spends so much time making fun of Joseph Smith, the tenets, the basic foundation and lore of Mormonism. It, it takes so much time to say, oh, it's so fucking stupid. Can you believe this? That Joseph Smith lied to all of these people. He had these wild claims about Jesus in America, and he said that he had these plates that he could translate, but nobody saw the plates. It's so fucking dumb, 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 dumb. That's what we hear throughout the episode, this little melody line. Dum 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 dum. It's so fucking stupid. Religion, Mormonism, it's so fucking stupid. And then at the end of the episode, within the last maybe 30 seconds or so, the show turns the tables on you and it points a big fucking index finger right at you, the viewer, and it says, How dare you? Yeah, they might have a stupid fucking foundation for their faith, but they're happy and they are good people who do good things. Oh, how you Smug atheist, you piece of shit. It's so easy to run down the Book of Mormon, isn't it? From your high tower, your ivory throne. <laughs> I hate that. It is so goddamn annoying how the show does that. Now, 
All of that said, <laughs> All About Mormons is funnier and more engaging than the Book of Mormon, and I'm pretty sure that dum-dum-dum-dum-dum song has a longer half-life, in my brain at least, than anything from the score of this subject, of this week's subject. This may go down in history as my wildest take, that the dum-dum-dum-dum-dum song is better than <laughs> the Book of Mormon score in its entirety, but I stand by it. P.S. Has anyone else heard? Do you remember, I should ask? That's the question I should ask. Does anyone remember the $900 million Paramount Plus deal that Trey Parker and Matt Stone made back in 2021? They made a deal for all sorts of brand new South Park content. I don't know if we have seen any of that content since that deal was made. Are those movies coming out? I believe there were supposed to be spin-off shows or some such fucking thing. They got... $900 million for that deal. That is way too much money for South Park. That is just, we are living in an age where content is king and I do not relate to it anymore. I find it to be so alienating. A $900 million deal. It makes me sick. Uh, moving on, I also listened to the 2011 original Broadway cast album of the Book of Mormon and I finished my research with, uh, no, I have two more things here. I watched the 2011 Tony Awards performance of I Believe. Let's talk about that for a second. Stephen Colbert introduces this segment as if the copywriter is sleeping with his wife. The phrase mild contempt does not feel inappropriate. Here is what I believe. I believe is not a great pick for the Tony Awards. We should be watching a number that showcases the entire company, and that number is the show's finale. Tomorrow is a latter day. Andrew Reynolds is wonderful. I have a lot of praise for him. I will get to that. But the Book of Mormon is not a one-person show. I want to see the whole company. Thank you. I also, this is the, this is the actual last thing I did. I watched the opening of the 2012 Tony Awards. That would have been the next year. 2011 is, of course, followed by 2012. This involves Cynthia Nixon, James Earl Jones, and other Broadway stars being confronted by Mormons at their dressing rooms. Hello. It's about as funny as your average SNL opener, if that tells you anything. And watching the replacement cast allowed me to realize how hollow the Book of Mormon is without Andrew Reynolds and Josh Gad. And I don't even like Josh Gad in this context, but if I'm going to watch anyone play Elder Cunningham, it should be him. All right, let's talk about the score of the Book of Mormon. Let's begin with, hello. Hello, my name is Elder Price, and I would like to share with you the most amazing book. Hello, my name is Elder Grant. It's a book about America a long, long time ago. It has so many awesome parts. You simply won't believe how much this book can change your life. Hello, my name is Elder Green. I would like to share with you this book of Jesus Christ. Hello, my name is Elder Young. Hello, did you know that Jesus lived here in the USA? You can read all about it now. Hello, in this nifty book, it's free. No, you don't have to pay. Hello, hello, my name is Elder Smith. And can I leave this book with you for you to just peruse? Hello, hello. Just leave it here. It has a lot of information you can really use. 
Hello. Hi. My name is Jesus Christ. You have a lovely home. Hello. It's an amazing book. Don't you? Hola. How? Me llamo Elder White. Are these your kids? This book gives you the secret to eternal life. Sound good? Eternal life. With Jesus Christ. It's super fun. Hello. Ding dong. And if you let us in, we'll show you how it can be done. No thanks. You're sure? Well, that's fine. Goodbye. Have fun in hell. Hey now. You simply won't believe how much is No, no, Elder Cunningham. That's not how we do it. You're making things up again. Just stick to the approved dialogue. Elder, show it! Hello! Hello! My name is Elder Cunningham! And we would like to share with you this book of Jesus Christ. Hello! Hello! Don't. Hi, Just take this book! It's free! For you and me! You, see? you simply won't believe how much it's familiar with the Book of Mormon's opening number, Hello! I use the doorbell effect from Hello! every week on this podcast. You think I'm not familiar with Hello? Please, I'll fight you. What we need to come to terms with as a community is that Hello! is overrated. It starts out well enough, but as we begin to shift between several points of focus, things get a little clumsy, like a bowling ball running up against bumpers, bonk, bink, bonk. It's not smooth. The momentum is not smooth. And as a result, we never escalate to the sort of big finish audiences expect. The song is less complex than it is messy. It's complicated. That is not the same thing as complex. There is an intentionality behind complex. Complicated is just messy. That's a synonym for you. I don't know. I also have an issue with the following redundancy in the lyrics. You cannot keep have fun in hell. We hear that at one point. You cannot have have fun in hell and this book will change your life so you won't burn in hell. Hello! The second line has no impact because we have already heard hell, the word hell, once before. Why is the second Mormon skirting around it? We, we already heard it. We know. We already heard a Mormon say hell like a minute ago. Hello? 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 You and me, but mostly me, are gonna change the world forever. Cause I can do most anything And I can stand next to you and watch Every hero needs a sidekick Every captain needs a mate Every dinner needs a side dish On a slightly smaller Just mostly me Something incredible I'll do something incredible I wanna 
changed all of mankind. My best friend. It's something I foreseen. Now that I'm 19, I'll do something incredible that blows God's freaking mind. is about to change for you and life is about to change for me and life is about to change for you and me but me mostly and there's no limit to what we can do me and you but mostly I consistently have to remind myself that I only enjoy you and me, but mostly me, because it is a beat-for-beat -beat recreation of The Wizard and I from Wicked. Both numbers concern a connection between two characters while centering one over the other. Both end on a power note. Even the orchestrations are lifted right out of the Schwartz musical. And we can do it together, you and me, but mostly me. That was a comparison of you and me against the opening. <laughs> what is that? The on track technically for Wicked. It's at the top of the Thank Goodness track on the on the Wicked cast album. Moving on. The Mormon score alludes to any number of shows from the canon, from The Sound of Music and Little Shop of Horrors to The Music Man. And I gotta say, maybe hold off on all of that crap. Worry about writing a musical that has its own identity because I'm not here to spot the hidden Mickeys if you get my drift. Man Up is an homage to Les Miserables. Yeah, I understand. We've done that plenty of times already. No musicals are allowed to parody Les Mis anymore. No, we're done with that. We are done. Reynolds has arguably never sounded better than he does on this track, you and me, but mostly me. So dynamic and completely in the pocket. If you told me he was stepping in as a replacement for Alphaba, I would buy it. Allow me to shine a light on these lyrics. I have another redundancy issue that I need to talk about. Quote, every hero needs a sidekick. Every captain needs a mate. Every dinner needs a side dish on a slightly smaller plate. Quote, I'm sorry, but I cannot allow the repeating use of side within this section. Side, side. No, you don't get both. There does not appear to be any intention behind the repetition, and so we must replace every hero needs a sidekick with completely new lyrics. We are keeping the dinner side dish joke because it's one of the few in the Book of Mormon that actually amuses me. I like that. Might I suggest, as a replacement, every present 
president needs a VP. Okay, look. <laughs> it's the only idea I have, and we are not going anywhere until we settle on a suitable replacement, so stop yelling at me. We hate that. Every president needs a VP. That sucks. Stop yelling at me and start brainstorming. When the world is getting you down, there's nobody else to blame. Raise your middle finger to the sky and curse his rotten name. Wait, what? Hasadiga Eboi. Am I saying that? Excuse me, sir, but, but what exactly does that phrase mean? Well, let's see. Eboi means God, and Hasadiga means fuck you. So I guess in English it would be fuck you, God. Hasadiga Eboi. What? When God fucks you in the butt. Hasadiga Eboi. Fuck God right back in his cunt. Hasadiga Eboi. sir, but you should really not be saying that. Things aren't always as bad as they seem. Oh, really? Well, take this fucking asshole Matumbo here. He got caught last week trying to rape a baby. What? Why? Some people in his tribe believe that having sex with a virgin will cure their AIDS. There aren't many virgins left, so some of them are turning to babies. But that's horrible. I know. Asadiga Ibawai. Here's the butcher. He has AIDS. Here's the teacher, she has AIDS. Here's the doctor, he has AIDS. Here's my daughter, she has a wonderful disposition. She's all I have left in the world. And if either of you lays a hand on her, I will give you my AIDS. If you don't like what we say, try living here a couple days. Ibawai is so reliant on its big comedic reveal that it sacrifices any hope for replay value. Once the cat is out of the bag, we are left to conclude the number has nothing left to offer, nothing else, it has nothing else. You might laugh the first time you hear Ibawai, but the second time, the third, I'm not talking about diminishing returns here. I'm talking about an all-out market crash, flatline. And that lack of an incentive to come back to the song is a shame and a problem, considering musicals live and die on our willingness to revisit them. I should want to hear this again, and I do not. Uganda, by the way, I'm sure many of you know this, but in case you don't, Uganda is a real place inhabited by real people 
The Book of Mormon reduces Uganda and its people to a series of third world signifiers, warlords, droughts, aids, primitive beliefs, etc. That etc. is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Any hack sketch writer in a second city class could come up with these stereotypes and present them at face value. No one should be paying Broadway prices for this level of insight. You might as well parody a UNICEF commercial. Sorry, quick question. Where exactly is this village located within Uganda? We will never know, I suppose. And if you cannot be bothered with that basic level of nuance, you might as well set the show in a fictional country. It's a village. Uh, one of those African villages with the huts. I assume there are goats walking around. I don't know. One might argue, and many often have, but Jonathan, Trey Parker, and Matt Stone are... Wait for it. Do you know what's coming? Ah, equal opportunity offenders. They go after everyone and spare no one. They make fun of the Mormons and the Africans, black and white. It's only fair, Jonathan. It's only fair. Ah, ah. Uh -huh. Counterpoint, the phrase equal opportunity offender assumes everyone is on equal footing when they walk through the door, which is one of the most ignorant and or disingenuous assumptions a comedian could possibly make. I prefer my comedy to have a little bit more intelligence and a little bit more honesty than that. It's called systemic racism. Ever heard of it? Systemic racism goes out of its way to ensure white people and POC are never on equal footing. It works to ensure white people view POC, people of color, as lesser than themselves. That's what it's all about. Like, sorry, everyone, but teasing white Mormons for being dopey? Oh, they're so dopey. And depicting Africans as living in an eternal state of decay, rot. These are not proportional jokes. Call me when systemic racism has been eradicated, and then we can joke about black people having sex with babies and hacking off clits. This is not an exaggeration. I became viscerally emotional and upset while listening to Hasidiga Ibawai. This was not my first time at the rodeo. I've heard it many times before, but it made me viscerally upset this time. It displays a startling lack of empathy and basic human kindness. And yes, I understand that is the Parker and Stone brand, the fuck everybody brand, but I no longer find value in their humor, probably because I'm not fucking 15 and my brain has fully formed, and I flatly reject it. Can't imagine what it must be like This perfect happy place I bet the good meat there is plentiful And they have vitamin injections by the case The warlords there are friendly They help you cross the street And there's a red cross on every corner With all the flour you can eat
I'm on my way. Soon life won't be so shitty. Now salvation has a name. Saltalaka City. to start here, I want to say this right up top. Nikki M. James is a talented actor with a beautiful voice, and Saul Talay Kasiti, the song we just heard, is beneath her. Nikki M. James and the sheet music for this song should not be together in the same room because this material is condescending tripe. To quote the song directly, quote, Saltale Kasiti, the most perfect place on earth. The flies don't bite your eyeballs and human life has worth. Quote, what are you talking about? That fucking sucks. You told a black woman to say human life in Africa has no worth. Do you know how many original characters are written for black women on Broadway? Nabalungi does not believe human life in Africa has any worth. That is demented. The Book of Mormon fixates on African suffering and degradation with a passion and an intensity that is fetishistic and it does not dedicate even a tenth of that energy to roasting Mormons. So please, again I say, spare me all of your equal opportunity offender rhetoric. In Africa, the flies bite your eyeballs. Ho, ho, ho. You're making things up again, Arnold. But it worked, Dad. You're stretching the truth again, and you know it. Don't be a fibbing friend, Arnold. Joseph Smith? Because a lie is a lie. It's not a lie. You're making things up again, Arnold. Oh, conscience. You're taking the holy word and adding fiction. Be careful how you proceed, Arnold. When you fib, there's a prize. Ah, this is bullshit. The story that I have been told is that the way to cure AIDS is by sleeping with a virgin. I'm going to go and rape a baby. What? Oh my, no, you can't do that. No! Why not? Because that is definitely against God's will. Says who? Where in that book of yours does it say anything about sleeping with a baby, huh? Nowhere. Uh, behold! The Lord said to the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith, you shall not have sex with that infant. Lo, Joseph said, why not, Lord? Oh, why not? And the Lord said, if you lay with that infant, you shall burn in the fiery pits of Mordor. Really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A baby cannot cure your illness, Joseph Smith. I shall give unto you uh, a frog. And thus, Joseph laid with the frog, and his AIDS was no more. You're making things up again, Arnold. You're recklessly warping the words of Jesus. Can't you say what you want, Arnold? Come on, hobbits! You're digging yourself a deep hole. I'm making things up again, kind of. But this time it's helping a dozen people It's nothing so bad because this time I'm not committing a sin Just by making things up again, right? No! Elder Cunningham, 
You have to stop him. What? What is it? Godswana is going to cut off his daughter's clitoris. Huh? This is all very interesting, but women have to be circumcised if that's what the general wants. No, doing that to a lady is definitely against Christ's will. How do you know? Christ never said nothing about no clitoris. Yes! Yes, he did! No reasonable person would accept this performance from Josh Gad if he were to offer it at the university or regional level, much less embrace it. The calibration is especially off throughout Making Things Up Again, where every line is delivered at a shrieking pitch. So why did Broadway audiences line up for this preening display of obnoxious tics? Does basic confidence factor into it? Because God knows Josh Gad has confidence. Confidence in sunshine. Confidence in rain. Confidence that spring will come again. Let us move past this performance so we may better appreciate Gad's true legacy, which is, I think we all agree, Olaf. Maybe we don't all agree. I like Olaf. Not everyone likes Olaf. But I like Olaf. He's a snowman. I do not want to shove Olaf. I can say that much. It would make me feel bad. I'm not going to push a snowman. My thanks go out to Jesse McAnally, co-host of the Musicals with Cheese podcast, for providing the solution to a mystery I could not solve by myself. It was driving me insane. Those sneaky sounding harpsichord notes, dee 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 dee, dee 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 dee, reminded me of something from another musical, and that, oh, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. Let's play the clips right now. You see, this book can help us. I just told a lie. No, wait, I didn't lie. Order. Yes, yes, it reminded me of Color and Light from Sunday in the Park with George. I'm glad I didn't spoil it before the clips played. Again, thank you for saving me, Jesse. I was having a brain fever moment. companion all alone. Oh God, how could I have done this to you? How could I break rule 72? And now my soul has just been thrown. Back into spooky morbid hell dream. for eating the donuts, and now you walk out on your mission companion? You're a dick. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus hates you, this we know, for Jesus just told you so. You remember Lucifer? He is even spookier. (laughs) Millions of Hades, have you heard the news? Kevin was caught playing hooky. Super spooky, spooky. I'm sorry, Lord, it was 
selfish of me to break the rules. Please, I don't want to be in this spooky morning hell dream. believe Jesus called me a dick! Andrew Reynolds continues to earn his MVP title throughout Spooky Mormon Hell Dream. Comedically speaking, he runs circles around Josh Gad. It's not a competition, but Reynolds is winning. Spooky Mormon Hell Dream is highly, highly reminiscent. And I say reminiscent when I really should be saying it's a, it's a remake. It's a... <laughs> It's a recreation of a scene from South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. In that movie, Kenny goes to hell and encounters Hitler, George Burns, and Gandhi. Oh, wouldn't expect to see them down there, would you? This should not be confused with Christmas Time in Hell, a South Park sketch in which Satan celebrates the Yuletide with, oh, prepare yourself, Jeffrey Dahmer, John F. Kennedy, and JFK Jr., Mao Zedong, Genghis Khan, Michael Landon, Princess Diana, ah, wild, Gene says. Oh, that's just mean. And Jimmy Stewart. But people like Jimmy Stewart. This is so weird. Variations on a tired premise, I suppose. Dahmer, Khan, you are no longer on the dole, baby. Time to start collecting those sweet, sweet Broadway checks. I know that I must go and do the things my Scriptures say that if you ask in faith, if you ask God himself, you'll know. 
But you must ask him without any doubt And let your spirit It's all true, you'll just feel it. You'll be a Mormon, by gosh, a Mormon. Just, just believe, I memorable because it is repetitive, and Reynolds never met a high note he could not easily overcome. There is nothing about the songwriting that makes it worthy of celebration or study. Let us consider this lyric from the song, which you would have heard, quote, I believe that in 1978 God changed his mind about black people, quote. I would now like to read from the Wikipedia article, Black People and Mormonism. That's right, there is an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to the subject of black people and their relationship with Mormonism. Here is what I found from that article. From 1849 to 1978, the LDS Church prohibited anyone with real or suspected black ancestry from taking part in ordinances in its temples, serving in any significant church callings, serving missions, attending priesthood meetings, being ordained to any priesthood office, speaking at firesides, or receiving a lineage in their patriarchal blessing. In 1978, the church's first presidency, a note for me, the first presidency is a term that refers to the president of the church and their body of counselors, they declared in a statement known as Official Declaration 2 that the temple and priesthood bans had been lifted by the Lord, by God. The announcement did not apologize for or present new theological underpinnings for the previous restrictions. After After the publication of Lester Bush's seminal article in Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought, the name of that article being Mormonism's Negro Doctrine, an historical overview, Brigham Young University Vice President Robert K. Thomas feared the church would lose its tax exemption status. Bush's article described the church's racially discriminatory practices in detail and inspired internal discussion among church leaders, thereby weakening the idea that the priesthood ban was doctrinal. As in most, okay, I'm done reading from the Wikipedia article, this is me talking, as in most situations, a measure of progress was achieved when white guys feared they would lose a bit of money, even just a little bit of money, by digging in their heels. Oh, we're going to lose money if we dig in our heels? Well, then let's change the policy. Open the doors. Welcome! Generally speaking, white guys do not die on hills. They sell the hills when the property values start to go down. The remaining tracks on the original Broadway cast album of the Book of Mormon, those tracks being Baptize Me, I Am Africa, Joseph Smith, American Moses, and Tomorrow is a Latter Day, are not worthy of discussion, so we're not going to discuss them. Nope, off the table, 
All right, I do need to talk about these lyrics from I Am Africa because they stink. Quote, We are the sunrise on the savanna, a monkey with a banana, a tribal woman who doesn't wear a bra. Quote, <sighs> I just imagine Trey Parker and Matt Stone telling people, it's not racist because we are saying it. When we say it, it's not racist. It is silly, harmless, ironic satire farce comedy that only humorless geeks and boobs would object to. What are you, a, what are you, a fucking queer? Stop yelling at us, queers. I keep throwing Parker and Stone under the bus as if Robert Lopez wasn't there the entire time. I blame you too, Robert. Robert, what are you doing here? A monkey with a banana. Fuck off. But it's inherently farcical because shut up. Fuck off. Now in the average scenario, this would be the time where we would hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee, but we have a brand new $10 a month patron, Helena. That's how you say it. Helena told me that her name. I got it right the first time. The name is pronounced Helena. So Helena is a $10 a month patron, which means Helena deserves a musical shout out. And we are going to hear that shout out now Take it away, musical shout out. It's me, Vincent Price. Hello. Helena, I'm so glad to be here. I'm afraid I do not know how to sing, but as you know, I ooh, I appeared on Broadway in 1953. I appeared on Broadway as the Duke of Buckingham on, on Broadway in, in William Shakespeare's Richard III. Seminal production, I would say. And, uh, you know, I always dreamed of playing Richard. I, I never had that opportunity myself. And so while I will not be singing for you today, Helena, imagine me in ooh, full Richard III garb. In fact, ooh, let's pretend, yes, I'm covered in robes, and I have a crown upon my dome, and I'm going to be performing a, a little monologue from the Bard's play. I hope you find this to be especially stimulating, Helena, because you are a $10 a month donor, a patron of the arts, and so I bring the arts to you. Helena. Thank you very much. Now, this is this is not in keeping with some of my other work. Perhaps, Helena, you've seen my, my infomercial for the 3D camera. Do yourself a favor. Ooh, do a YouTube search. Vincent Price 3D camera. It's me talking about a 3D camera in the House of Wax Museum. Ooh, it's quite entertaining. Ooh, and there's a part where I'm flanked by buxom bikini babes. And as we all know, there's nothing I love more than a buxom bikini. Babe. All right, enough promotion for the 3D camera. Let's hear Act 4, Scene 4 of Richard Third. As I intend to prosper and repent, so thrive I in my dangerous attempt of hostile arms. Myself, myself confound! Heaven and fortune bar me happy hours. Day, yield me not thy light, nor night thy rest. Be opposite all planets of good luck to my proceedings, if with pure heart's love, immaculate devotion, holy thoughts, I tender not thy beauteous princely daughter. 
In her consists my happiness and thine. Without her follows to this land and me, to thee, herself, and many a Christian soul. Death, desolation, ruin, and decay. It cannot be avoided but by this. It will not be avoided but by this. Therefore, good mother, I must can you so be the attorney of my love to her. Plead what I will be, not what I have been, not my deserts, but what I will deserve. Urge the necessity and state of times, and be not peevish fond in great designs. And seen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thank you once more, Helena. And now I shall turn into a raven and fly away into the inky darkness of this cool fall evening. <laughs> caw, caw. I'm a raven now and I cannot speak human English. Caw, caw. Away with me. Final thoughts regarding the Book of Mormon. All right, okay, the Book of Mormon has less conviction when it comes to the subject of religion than Leap of Faith, a show I would classify as more than a little cynical and more than a little dangerous. But Leap of Faith picks a lane. It adheres to a set of ideals, whereas Mormon is constantly flirting with both sides of the aisle. And you might be able to achieve a certain measure of popularity by simultaneously pandering to everyone while pretending to be too cool for school. Hey, maybe even an enormous share of popularity, but you will never be beloved. The Book of Mormon is like The Masked Singer, a show that booked Kermit, Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle, Sarah Palin, Caitlyn Jenner, and Rudy Giuliani without feeling a moment of hesitation or compunction. It's for everyone, they tell us. It's for no one. People watch it, sure, but no one gives a shit about that show. The Book of Mormon is every piece of Marvel entertainment that tells you guns are bad while pointing the biggest gun you've ever seen in your life in your face. It's for for everyone. It's, okay, look, I watch all of it. I watch all of the Marvel stuff. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a consistently moral being made of pure light. People watch this stuff, sure, yeah, but no one really gives a shit about it. Not really. It has no tail. The ripples only extend so far. We are simply consuming fast food because fast food tastes good. Or, I should say, it's supposed to taste good. Placate if you must, but my god, when presenting a musical, is it too much to ask that the songs be funny and memorable? Avenue Q did us all a great disservice by making racism more palatable, but at least the songs were better. They were better than the ones we got this week. Robert Lopez, I beg of you, do not return to the outlandish musical comedy. It may have lined your pockets and your trophy cases for a while, but those shows are far from your best work. Coco is your best work. Never stop working with Kristen. You will be better off for it. This comparison might be a stretch, but hear me out. The Book of Mormon is like... What is he going to say this time? What is he going to say? 
rule of three. It's like the Blue Man Group. Uh, people watch the Blue Man Group. All kinds of people. Uh, but no one needs the Blue Man Group. No one loves the Blue Man Group. You love it? Do you love it? It's beloved? No. The Blue Man Group is not actually the pop culture institution. It seems to think it is. We are simply used to the Blue Man Group being a thing. We're used to it being around. It's just a thing. In a building right over there across the street from the DSW. And the Book of Mormon may run for another 20 years. It may run for another 40 years for all I fucking know. But the majority of us will never seek it out. We don't have time. We have other things to do, better shows to watch. To review, if your artistic philosophy is, who cares? Shut up! And you cannot communicate that philosophy with sufficient humor or unique style, my response to your art is, who cares? Shut up! I do not enjoy having this response. It makes me sound like a libertarian. And if Mormon is for anyone, it's for libertarians who have weak values. Real values know how to take a punch. They do not bob and weave so as to avoid actual confrontation. As a reminder, in 2011, the Book of Mormon won the Tony Award for Best Musical. The other nominees from that season were Catch Me If You Can, The Scottsboro Boys, and Sister. Act. We haven't talked about any of these shows. This is the first time we have visited this set of nominees. Did the Book of Mormon deserve to win the Tony Award for Best Musical? No. What show deserved to win? I don't know. I'm afraid the jury is still out. No one may return to their families as of yet. No, sit down. To be continued, sit down. It is now time for me to rank the Book of Mormon against all of the other musicals we have talked about here on the podcast. As a reminder, you can find our ranking on the second tab of our Google spreadsheet. How do I find the spreadsheet? That's a good question. Go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You'll find our link tree there. Yeah, and there is a link to that spreadsheet. Again, second tab, that's where you'll find our ranking. I'm placing the Book of Mormon at number 93 on this list between nice work if you can get it at number 92, and Monty Python's Spamalot at number 94. I have a feeling that's going to change, but we are going to go with that for now. Hey, 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 how about some show-related ephemera? I'm so excited by the show-related ephemera this week. Here is a clip from an old VHS tape that was uploaded to YouTube. I believe the name of the channel is Hard to Find Mormon Videos, and I'm glad that this existed because this is a very silly tape known as Manners for Missionaries 4. That's right, this is the fourth tape in a series, I believe, and this is from 1994, and this part of the series is known as Visual Poise for Sisters. Let's hear that. As sisters in the gospel, we should maintain a feminine dignity no matter where we are or what we're doing. Check yourself in the mirror to make sure you're standing straight. Then as you go throughout the day, remember good posture and stand tall. Most of the time as a missionary, you'll be carrying books, but when your arms are free, stand with them resting on your hip bones or relaxed at your side with the elbows close to the body. If you feel comfortable standing with your arms folded, be sure to let your fingertips show. Otherwise, your arms will pull you into a slump. When putting your hands in your pockets, let the thumb show so it doesn't appear as if you are resting in your pockets. When sitting, practice the following technique. It'll help you look more refined and ladylike. 
As you approach a chair, turn on the balls of your feet and back up to the chair, touching it with your calves. Then, keeping your back straight, lower yourself to the edge of the chair, then slide back into it. When arising, let your knees do the work, sliding you to the edge and back up in one motion. When you're sitting, it's most attractive to keep your hands together, palms down, or with fingers interlocked in front of you or off to the side, whichever is most natural for you. When sitting, the most important thing to do is keep your knees together. One mission president had to make the front row at meetings off limits to sisters because they couldn't sit modestly. Don't let that be said of you. Keep knees together with your skirt close to your legs. Your feet can be parallel in front of you or at an angle or in a model stance with one slightly in front of the other. If you cross your ankles, don't wrap your foot around your leg like this. When you cross your legs, don't cross them at the knees, but at the calves with the top leg resting on the bottom leg at an angle. When sitting, use good posture. Don't use armrests. You tend to either slump or grab onto them. And how about bending over? Never bend from the waist for two good reasons, your front and your back. Rather, lower your body to a sitting position and back up again, keeping the spine as straight as possible. When kneeling to pray, use the same principle. Lower yourself as in bending, then with your knees together, let one come down first. When getting up, make sure your skirt is not caught on your shoes, then rock back onto your feet and come up in one motion. If a chair is close by, use it to help you get up. I just find that to be so very, very funny. I <laughs> I can think of so many videos I watched in my during my Catholic upbringing, and that they are very comparable. This obsession with ooh, everything has to be ooh. You better not ever. You better not ever stop thinking about God for a fucking second. You better not crack your knuckles or fart or burp or anything because God will get upset. He'll get really upset. To determine which show we discuss next, we will need to take a ride. A ride on the musical carousel. Ooh, we polished it up. We put some oil on the gears. We made sure that everything was working well. And, okay, so otherwise known as the musical carousel is otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show Buy Two Camels and Call Me in the Morning. Everyone ready? Then away we go. All right, we have stepped off of the musical carousel, and it would seem our next subject is a 1961 nominee. We're going back to the 60s, baby. It's a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It did not win. It ran on Broadway for 524 performances, and the name of that show is... Ha <laughs> That's right, our next show is Amaladus. Okay, this episode is going to drop November 2nd, all right? You're going to have to wait a week because we are producing a brand new episode of our Patreon series M3, The Movie Musical Man. That's going to come out between this episode and the Amaladus episode, okay? All right, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated 
donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We don't keep any of that money. It goes right to them. So please consider giving one, three, five, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. Hello, thank you so much for donating. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you. You also get 18 bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, the film Cats. We have a full review of the film Cats. Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration. Hamilton via Disney+. Plus. Documentary Now, original cast album, co-op. John Mulaney and the Sacklodge Bunch. Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Arlo the Alligator Boy. The trailer for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Vivo. The Tony Awards present Broadway's Back. Diana. Annie Live. And The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. You get season one, that's 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. And finally, in this tier, we have the show I just mentioned, M3, The Movie Musical Man. You get the first 12 episodes of that series, which sees us watching trios of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Our next theme is the Yeehaw Trilogy. That's the Harvey Girls. Ah, let's see. What's in the middle there? What's Oh, Calamity Jane. And then rounding out that trilogy is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Again, that's coming next week to the $1 a month tier. Say, what if you donate $3 a month? Well, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. We heard from Vincent Price. That was a shout-out for Helena. Hey, if you donate $3, you'll get your own musical shout-out. You pick them. You tell me who you want to hear from, and we book them. You get all 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, hello, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. Coming March of next year, as a reminder, a brand new eight-episode bi-weekly series for $3 a month patrons. Be on the lookout for that. $5 a month will net you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. Helena got to do that. She chose the Book of Mormon, and so we talked about it. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I did not alienate Helena by being so harsh on the show, but I, oh, I can only hope. Knock on wood. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. All 14 episodes of our Broadway in Chicago. Chicago Review Series, and Volumes 1 through 5 of Shout About It. These are compendiums, collections, if you will, of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the show, it's true. Finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, all 12 episodes of Season 1 of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Music 
musical. They were snubbed. And finally, you get all 12 episodes of Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Audible. Hey, even Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I love an email. Send me an email, please. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny and the both. Love you guys. Love you. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo. Love you. And Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Love you. Oh, you know what that sound means? That's the doorbell. That's the doorbell from the Book of Mormon. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long. Farewell, off Venusian, and good night. getting in and out of cars. The principles are similar to those of sitting. Back up to the seat, then keeping your knees together, sit on the edge of the seat. Now, keeping your knees together, swing your legs around into the car and then position yourself on the seat. When getting out of the car, remember both legs swing out first with knees together, then use your arms to gently push yourself up and out of the car. And getting in the back of a two-door car, 